Hello and welcome to another edition of the Rabbi Rabinowitz Podcast, hosted by the Jacksonville Colo. We have not had a podcast in a long time, but we are back now tonight to talk about Tubishvat, the 15th of the Jewish month of Shivat. Now, just to begin with, so I imagine most people are aware that the different months have different names, and the month that we're in now is the month of Shivat, and in Gematria, so the way that it works is Aleph is 1, Bez is 2, Gimel is 3, um, and then you get to Yud, Yud is 10, Yud Aleph is 11, Yud Bez 12, Yud Gimel 13, Yud Dalit 14. Now technically the next number should really be Yud followed by Hey, because if Yud Gimel is 13, Yud Dalit is 14, then Yud Hey should be 15. The problem is that we don't want to use that to be 15, because Yud followed by Hey is the name of Hashem. So it gets to be a little bit tricky, and it looks inappropriate to use that as the name of Hashem. So therefore, whenever we have to use the number 15 in Gematria, Gematria being uh, how you use the numerical value of a letter to represent a number, instead of just using um, actual numerals, so very often in, uh, in Judaism that you refer to the letters with the letters having a value, that's Gematria, so... The gematria of 15 should be Yud 10, followed by He 5, but because that would be the name of Hashem, it doesn't look right. Uh, even though, of course, it's not your intention over there to write the name of Hashem, your intention would be to write the number 15. So therefore we do Tes Vav. Now, the reason for that is not random, but it's because Tes in gematria is 9, and Vav is 6, so 9 plus 6 equals 15. So therefore, for 15, they do Tes Vav. Now, for 16, they do Tess Zion, again, Tess being 9, Zion being 6, uh, 7 rather, so therefore you have 16. I'm not really sure what would be wrong with Yudvav. I think it's like an extra, extra precaution. Because Yudvav is not the name of Hashem, but if they have Yud and then a He and then a Vav, then you're starting to write out the uh, name of Hashem. So I think that, therefore, it was just an extra caution that they did once they decided not to do Yud followed by He. They also uh, they they also decided not to do yud vav either, and that's why we have tes vav and tes zayin. Parenthetically, the reason why I'm being careful is that there are those opinions that say not only should we not say the name of Hashem in vain, but you shouldn't even spell out the name of Hashem in vain. It would. Because the name of Hashem is so sacred, we don't even want to spell it out. That's why sometimes people refer to the name of Hashem, which is really Yod followed by He, followed by Vav, followed by He, as Yod K, Vav K, using K in place of the letter He. Or similarly, in this case, I just keep on saying followed by or then, rather than um, saying one after the other to create that separation between them. It shouldn't sound like I'm spelling out the name of Hashem. But anyway, to Bishvat literally means the 15th day in Shabbat. So the 15th day in Shabbat is this coming uh, Sunday night and Monday. And the Mishnah tells us in the beginning of the tractate of Rosh Hashanah that we're familiar with Rosh Hashanah, of course, but the Mishnah tells us that there are actually four Rosh Hashanahs. Which means that the same way that you have in the secular calendar, so you have the new year, but you also have the academic year, and you also have sometimes a fiscal year, different companies have different times when they've uh, decided that that's when their fiscal year will begin, that's when their fiscal year will, will end. So if you were shopping for a calendar, 
and it was the beginning of the school year, and you found the calendar started in January, that wouldn't do you very much good. You would want a, for school, for your child or for yourself, you would want an academic school year calendar that starts in August and goes through June. That way you have all the dates that you need. So similarly, also in Judaism, we have different years, different Rosh Hashanahs. So, for example, the Rosh Hashanah that we're familiar with is our Rosh Hashanah, but the Mishnah tells us that the custom was back then, or the Halacha, that when they would write, when they would borrow money, when they would fill out an IOU, so they would write on the IOU, uh, whoever it was, Reuven borrowed $50 from Shimon, and then they would, besides having the witness sign it, they would have the date that the loan took place. So they would write the date, let's say it was, uh, I don't know, the 22nd day in the month of Kislev. And then whoever the king was at that time, they would write, and this is the 10th year to the reign of king, whoever it was. Whatever year it happened to be that of his reign, they would write in the IOU how many years it's been in his reign. So... Let's say, for example, the king is, I don't know, Rechavam, so then, and somebody borrowed money, and it's the third year of Rechavam's reign, so they would write on the 22nd day in Kislev, the third year to the reign of Hamelech Rechavam, King Rechavam. Now, they decided that to keep life simple, it would be more difficult to start to keep track every single year when did his reign start, and that's when you would know, obviously, how many years he's been king for. So therefore, they said, you know what? Every king becomes a new year of being king on the first day of the month of Nisan. Nisan, of course, the month when Pesach falls out. So they said on the Rosh Chodesh Nisan, on the first day of Nisan, that is when the king enters a new year. So the Gemara says that obviously it sounds funny, but you could have a um, rare situation or interesting situation where the king became the king on the very last day of Adar, the month before Nisan. So then he became king for one day, and then one day later... On the first of Nisan, it would now be the second year to his reign. And that's how you would fill it out on all of these stores, on all of the documents, when you would write down what year reign it is for the king. So you would write that it's the second year of his reign. And then the following Rosh Chodesh Nisan is once again the, now the third year of his reign. So the Mishnah refers to this as Rosh Hashanah Ulimalachim, the Rosh Hashanah for kings. That's the way, that's the way that it works. That, uh, the kings, they get a new year, uh, for counting purposes on Rosh Chodesh Nisan. So when it comes to trees, trees also have a Rosh Hashanah. There's actually a machokas, a disagreement between Beis Shammai, the house of Shammai, the yeshiva of Shammai, and Beis Hillel, the yeshiva of Hillel. Beis Shammai is of the opinion that the Rosh Hashanah for trees is on Rosh Chodesh Shevat, and Beis Hillel is of the opinion that it's actually 15 days later on Tu Bishvat, which is, of course, our custom that we celebrate Rosh Hashanah for the trees on Tu Bishvat. People often refer to it as the birthday for the trees, but the, the actual verbiage of the Mishnah, the Mishnah calls it Rosh Hashanah for trees. Now, what purpose does it make to be the Rosh Hashanah for trees? So, interestingly... This, there's only one major ramification for the fact that it's the Rosh Hashanah for the trees, and that is as follows. The halacha is that in Eretz Yisrael, until today, when someone has produce that grows, be it uh, vegetables or fruits, so they have to take off certain tithes. 
So there's a certain amount that you take off and you would give to a Kohen. A certain amount that you would take off, you would give to the Levi. That which is given to the Kohen is called Truma. That which is given to the Levi is called Miser. And you have to go and you have to take, you have to take off the tithe and uh, give it to the proper person. How they do it today in Israel is more complicated and beyond the scope of this podcast. But, Suffice it to say that the tithes until today are still being removed. So you have the truma and you have the miser, which is separated for the Kohen and for the Levi. Now the halacha is that if you have, let's say, I don't know, a bunch of apples in front of you. So the apples actually have to be in front of you. They can't be uh, somewhere else. Whatever it is that you're tithing, that has to be in front of you. So if you have a uh, hundred apples and you're going to take one-tenth, and give it to the levy. So you're not supposed to go and take, uh, for example, all the bad apples, find the ten worst apples, and give it to the levy. Technically, you could probably get away with that, but it would be considered to be improper, inappropriate to do that. Why would you uh, give the levy the worst stuff when you're supposed to be giving him a gift? So uh, another one of the halachos is that you give the levy a tenth. Now, it makes sense that we wouldn't require you to go over to each and every apple and remove one-tenth of the apple to give it to the levy. That would be both annoying for you and for the recipient for the levy. So instead, what you do is you make a calculation how much you have, and then you give a tenth of the total. However, the halacha, the law is like this, that you're not allowed to take produce from one year and use it to tithe produce from another year. In other words, all the produce from one year has to be tithed together, and all the produce from a different year has to be tithed together. Now, how do we define a year? So that's exactly where Tu Bishvat comes in, where the reason why Tu Bishvat is called Rosh Hashanah for the trees is that the definition of what's called produce from one year and what's called produce from the next year is exactly that whether it didn't actually have to grow, but if it started to bud before Tu Bishvat, then it's from one year. If it only started to bud after Tu Bishvat, then it's from a different year. So you could see where there would definitely be some confusion. You have to do a very good job of keeping track because something, it wasn't picked yet necessarily before Tu Bishvat. You may not even see very much of it growing on the tree yet before Tu Bishvat, but it would be enough that it would be considered to be from one year, or if it only started to grow afterwards, then it would be from a different year. And then you have to be careful when you separated your tithes, whether it was from the first year or whether it was from the following year, and to make sure that you have that in order when you do your tithing. That is the basic halacha, um, the only halacha that's really relevant to Tu Bishvat. The only other thing is that, interestingly, even though there's nothing to celebrate, per se, however, there's a prayer that we say at Shachris and at Mincha, the morning and in the afternoon, called Tachanun. Uh, when we say, when we say Tachanun, so part of it is Nefilas Apayim, which is we say this chapter from Tehillim, and we actually put our head down as we say it, and uh, we talk about how much we have sinned. And we say these sins are so heavy that I can't even bear to keep my head up. And uh, we say this prayer uh, every single day at Shabbos. We don't say it on Shabbos, 
And we also don't say it whenever there's a happy time. And the reason we don't say it when there's a happy time is because it's a little bit sad and depressing. We're talking about all the sins that we did. And therefore, whenever it's happy, we don't say it. So, for example, on Rosh Chodesh, we don't say it. On Hanukkah, we don't say it. Not, so not, even, not only like major holidays, but even things which are more minor holidays, if it's a little bit happy, it's enough to cancel Tachnon. So, sure enough, two Bishvat also has this halachic ramification that it cancels Tachnon. So, on Monday... We won't say Tachna, not at Shachris or at Mincha. And the Mincha before, we also don't say it because it's Erev Tu Bishvat, it's right before Tu Bishvat. And even though there's not really a Simcha, any type of celebration that comes together with Tu Bishvat, but it seems that there is enough to cancel, to cancel Tachanun. There are other customs that are associated with Tu Bishvat, and they're all beautiful. A lot of it comes later from the uh, from the Mikubalim, the Kabbalists. They even wrote the whole Seder to have on Tu Bishvat with different types of uh, fruits and what uh, type of kavanas, what type of uh, thoughts you should have when you have the different types of fruits, uh, those that uh, have uh, pits and those that those that the, the like uh, the pomegranate where the pit is actually um, edible and uh, that's that's uh, symbolic of this and the other one is symbolic of something else and these are all beautiful ideas but they come later and they're not um, they're, they're they're not really any halacha associated with them if one would go the entire two bishvat and not having eaten any fruit then there would not be anything wrong with that I mean it would be. It's nice to use the day of Tu Bishvat to appreciate nature and to appreciate that we have trees. And uh, in many schools, they use it as a time to review the laws of brachos, a chance to refresh or to learn for the first time, depending on the age, all the different uh, brachos that we say when we eat uh, all of our foods. And it's like a good excuse. And hey, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's beautiful. So if somebody wants to take the opportunity to plant a tree or to think about nature, so... Okay, hey, why not? But as far as the uh, traditional definition of what Tu Bishvat was, it really was just this halacha of what year uh, the different fruits grew so that you knew how to take off the tithes properly. Thank you so much for listening, and if you have a suggestion for a topic for a future podcast, please let me know. Thank you so much. And even if you're not trees, I wish you a Shana Tova.